0: Welcome to bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my bed crimers. Hi, how are you? I hope you're doing well. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Do me a favor, if after watching the video you find you enjoyed it or you learned something, smash that like button and please consider subscribing And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a membership. I keep the price really low, $1.99 a month. Hey, that's much less than even one drink from Starbucks. Now, without further ado, let's dig in. Hi there. Welcome to Friday. I do hope you guys all have a wonderful weekend. Today, I want to walk you through what happened when the first officer from the Tallahassee Police Department arrived at Danny Markell's home on Trescott Drive after Danny's neighbor Jim Geiger dialed 911. I think it's important to understand the severity of what Dan Markell experienced. It's because of this that people want all of those who played a role in the crime to be punished. We saw Harvey Idelson with his wife Donna at the airport, and Harvey says to the FBI agent, don't do this, you're making a mistake, you're making your second mistake. Well, it's quite clear that the only mistake that was made in this case Is that Charlie Adelson, likely Donna too? I say likely because she hasn't been convicted yet, and who the heck knows who else in the family allegedly decided to do Dan Markell in to destroy him. This is what the mistake was. And I think we all want to see every single person who played a role in that crime charged, convicted, and punished. The first officer to arrive at 2116 Trescott Drive was Tallahassee Police Sergeant David Sims. Danny Markell's neighbor, Jim Geiger, plagued Sims down and directed him straight to Danny's garage. As Sims entered the space, he noticed Danny's black Honda Accord was running. However, the doors to it were locked. Secure inside was Danny Markell. He was slumped over in the driver's seat. He was breathing rapidly and gasping for air. Surprisingly, Danny's left hand was still grasping on to his light blue iPhone. Due to the severity of his wounds, his face and shirt were soaked in red. Piles of broken glass from the shattered driver's side window were on the driver's seat on Danny and on the floorboard. Sergeant Sims carefully stuck his arm through the shattered window to unlock the car. Sims then entered the Honda through the passenger side. On the passenger seat, there was a white towel. A large, deep red spot had seeped into one of its corners. That likely was Danny's towel, from his workout at the gym that morning. Sims reached over to pull the keys out of the ignition. This is when he spotted one half of Danny's broken eyeglasses. In the glove compartment, Sims found Danny's well-worn leather wallet. It contained $68 in cash and 20 credit cards. Lot of credit cards. I don't know why, but learning about a victim's personal items just makes me feel so sad. These are day-to-day items that we all carry, and when someone dies, something like the person's wallet emphasizes that one minute they were going about their day-to-day business and the next they weren't. Also, wallets are so personal and touching because we tend to put family photos in them mementos of our loved ones, maybe a little note that was particularly meaningful from a time in the past. They're just full of pieces of the person. My mom held on to her father's wallet, and then when she passed away, I took ownership of his wallet and her wallet. Am I crazy? Do you guys also have this sentimentality about the wallets of people we've loved who've left us? In the back seat? was Danny's Dell laptop computer in a black bag. Once EMTs arrived, Danny was bundled up and taken to the hospital. This is when officers used his keys to enter the house. They searched the whole house, but found no evidence of a break-in or robbery. The officers secured the scene by stretching yellow crime scene tape across Trescott Drive, about five houses in both directions. That's a lot of crime scene tape, and I think that's why it's hard to believe that Wendy Adelson, when she says she didn't realize a crime had gone down, when she tried to drive down Trescott sometime between 12.35 p.m. and 12.45 p.m., how could she not have noticed the crime scene tape? It wasn't just at her old house. It was down five houses on each side of her old house. And let's not forget, she didn't call Danny Markel to make sure he was okay. But of course, he's her ex and they're in the middle of a contentious divorce. But still, she also didn't call the daycare to make sure that her kids were okay. Yes, she knew they were supposed to be there, But wouldn't you want to double check when you see crime scene tape? She didn't do that. At the hospital, a forensic specialist was documenting Danny's injuries. There were two distinct wounds to his face. One was just above the tear duct of his left eye, near the bridge of his nose. The second was on his left cheek, below the opposite corner of his left eye. There was also gunpowder residue across his left forearm. During the autopsy the next day, the medical examiner removed Two caliber bullets from Danny's head. The medical examiner concluded both had been fired from just 18 to 24 inches from Danny's face. The one from the cheek injury was actually lodged in the soft tissue below his left ear canal. The medical examiner was certain that Danny was still conscious after being struck by that first projectile, and this is because he reflexively raised his left arm when that first object struck his face, along with a shard of glass that was embedded in his cheek. Also, this would explain the residue on the left forearm, which was likely left there when the weapon was fired a second time. In the medical examiner's opinion, first wound, although serious, would not have been fatal. It was the second projectile which tore through the brain and was found in the back of the skull that led to Danny's death. Had Sigfredo Garcia left the one wound Danny would likely have lived to tell. But of course, Garcia wasn't taking any chances. It sounds like once the medical staff saw the damage to Danny's brain, they made him comfortable, they hooked him up to a mechanical ventilator, and they allowed nature to run its course. I'm sure they were hoping that he would live long enough for his parents to arrive from Canada so that they could have a chance to hold his hand, tell him how much they loved him, and say goodbye. Sadly, Danny passed Around 1 a.m., long before his parents were able to arrive. And actually, I made a mistake there. His father, I believe, was in the U.S. at the time of the crime, but he still wasn't able to fly there fast enough to say goodbye to Danny. I think these injuries really drive home how heinous and egregious this crime was. By the way, did you know that Katie McBanawa also dialed Harvey Adelson's phone? I'll tell you about that in another video. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.